0: We have a tendency to romanticize the early church. You'll hear people say at times, if we could just get back to the first century, as though the church that was born in the book of Acts was a perfect church. It was not. We need to take a realistic view of what the church really was like then and What it has been like through history, in fact a simple study of the history of the church will give you a realistic and sometimes depressing view of how the church has acted through the ages. But if we really want to get a realistic view of what the church is or what the church should be, I think the best place to start is the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, if you want to open up your Bibles there, we have what we might call the birth of the church, at least the New Covenant church, and Acts chapter 2. We've been talking about worship and its importance in the beginning of this new year. You'll notice we use the three letters WCS, so we've talked about worship and Today we want to talk about connecting, and that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts. There is this wonderful connection between believers when they come to faith in Christ. Regardless of their nationality or age, regardless uh, of their status in society, they're blended into a family. Acts chapter 2, you have the event of Pentecost. That's the first 13 verses of this wonderful chapter and of course this is when the Spirit comes upon the 120 who are praying in the upper room and they speak with languages. They're given the ability to know languages instantly and communicate with all the nations that had come to Jerusalem to worship and the people were amazed and they asked the question in verse 12, what does this mean? So in verse 14, Peter says, let me explain to you what this means. And his sermon is a sermon of explanation. It is a sermon that informs them about the event that has just taken place. He goes back to the book of Joel chapter 2 and he basically says this, what is happening, is that. That which was prophesied in Joel chapter 2. This is that. It was predicted that the Spirit would come down in the last days, and so He has. He preached a wonderful message about Jesus Christ and the need to trust Him. The fact that they had killed the Lord of glory, and now they need to repent and believe. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what many of them did. Verse 41, they accepted the message. They believed in Christ. So after this sermon of explanation and exhortation they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they were new believers. They accepted the message, verse 41, they were baptized and there were about 3,000 people baptized. I remember several years ago when I had the privilege of baptizing some of the new converts in our Chinese church, a Chinese church met in our building. Uh, They didn't have a pastor at the time and they asked me if I would help with the baptism and I said I would love to. How many people are being baptized? And they said eight. I said fantastic. I will look forward to it. And so I got into the baptismal tank and a couple big surprises hit me. Number one, their testimonies were all in Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) And so I stood in the water and just kind of nodded my head and smiled when I thought things sounded good. And the other thing was, of the eight people, all eight gave testimonies, and I was in the water for almost two hours because they kept giving wonderful testimonies. Uh, <laughs> I was shriveling, <laughs> but filled with joy. After that, I was prepared for the long time in the water. And they started putting the testimonies in English on the screen so I could read them and have a sense of what they were saying. And it was indeed a joyous time. Then they got their own pastor and I didn't get to experience that wonderful joy. But eight people, almost two hours. I wonder how long they stayed in the water for 3,000 people to be baptized course, it wasn't just one person baptizing. They were probably baptizing all over the city in these little mikvahs that we see every time we visit Israel. And uh, other people were baptizing. It wasn't just the leaders. And it was a very interesting situation. But many people came to faith in Christ. So you have the event, and then you have the explanation in the Sermon of Peter, and then you have the effect, starting at verse Forty-two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we want to look at these last few verses beginning at verse 42 and going through verse 47. Because although the first century church was not a perfect church, this is a snapshot of an ideal church. Just recently born, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. No time to mess it up yet. They'll do that in chapters 4 and 5 and 6. But right now, here's a beautiful picture of what an ideal church ought to look like. We might say, here are the central features of a spirit-filled church, of a healthy church. The distinguishing marks of a godly church. Here they are. And it is interesting with this word connect because the church is all about relationships. Your life is all about relationships. And let me talk about relationships from this portion of Scripture in four dimensions. All right, are you with me? Here's relationship number one, the early church related to the apostles. And the key word here is teaching. They related to the apostles, and the key word is teaching, for they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The Greek word for teaching is didache, where we get the English word didactic, which means to teach, to instruct, right? And this particular word is the word that is often translated doctrine. Now it's interesting, in the English, we fill that word doctrine with all kinds of meanings, many of them negative. Oh, I don't want to you know, be burdened down with doctrine. Let's not always talk about doctrine. It sounds bad. All it is is the teaching of Scripture. Sometimes we do abuse it, but they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they had a relationship with the apostles, many of them still alive. Obviously Peter just preached a message and they were giving God's message to God's people. So a healthy church is a learning church. A healthy church is committed to the Scriptures, to the truth of God. In the Old Testament you had the prophets who are the mouthpieces of God. And in the New Testament, you have the apostles who get revelation from God and inscripturate it, write it down, put it in a book, and that's the book we have the Bible. Many of my thoughts from this passage have been enhanced by reading the wonderful writings of John Stott. John Stott said in this section of Scripture, we might say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. The apostles were the school teachers whom Jesus had appointed and trained. And there were 3,000 pupils in kindergarten. (laughs) That's how it started out. But it was a learning church and so we need to be a learning church. We need to be focused on the teaching of the apostles. And the teaching of the Apostles, you say, you know, aren't they gone? Where do we find the teaching of the Apostles? The New Testament. The New Testament is the writing of the Apostles or people who were close to the Apostles and wrote down what the Apostles said, like the Gospel of Mark is really the preaching of Peter and John Mark just wrote down what Peter said. And these Apostles had authority. If you go on in our text, you'll notice they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by whom? The apostles. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 says the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, Miracles were done among you. You see, these miraculous signs were given to authenticate by God, authenticate the men that he had appointed, that he had trained, that he had called to be with him, who would then take in his message and proclaim it and ultimately have it written down. It is interesting that the Spirit-filled church, the early church, they were not enjoying some mystical experience that made them neglect their intellect, that caused them to despise theology, or to stop thinking. Many of you have friends, and maybe you thought of this for many years, if I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to have to check my mind at the door before I come walking into the church. I've got to stop thinking Because the people who are Christians are non-thinkers. They're anti-intellectual. Nothing could be further from the truth. But that's one of the lies the devil has put out there. We're concerned about the truth. The Holy Spirit, John 14, is the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, 17, the scripture sanctifies us. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is true. It is also interesting that these early believers did not suppose since they received the Holy Spirit that they had no longer any need for human teachers. They still needed the teaching of the apostles. And so the scripture gives us this wonderful picture of the New Testament learning church. And since the teaching of the apostles comes to us in its definitive form in the New Testament, it carries authority just like the Old Testament carries authority. And together we have the word of God and we need to submit to it. We need to understand it and follow it and believe it. That's the first mark of a healthy church. Here's the second one. Not only did they relate to the apostles' teaching, but they related to one another. And that is the key concept of sharing. And I just realized that I messed up on the slides. That should say that they related to one another. I was cutting and pasting the same thing over and over and forgot to change it. I confess my error. If you guys could change that before I get to point three, I'd appreciate that. You have no idea what point three is, do you? (laughs) All right. Related to each other, not the apostles, secondly. And this is the idea of fellowship or sharing. Notice verse 42. They devoted themselves to teaching and to the fellowship. The definite article is there. So it's not just the act of fellowship, but to the fellowship, the body of Christ. You see, if you love Jesus, you should love his body. If you're committed to Jesus, you should be committed to the body of Christ as well. And that is the church. And these people really helped one another. They were sharing in their spiritual position because they were all in Christ. Again, coming from all these different nationalities, all these different areas, countries... Different age groups, different genders, different experience. And they are to be melted into one as a family, as a body. Just as a body as many members, just as a family as many people, just as an army as many soldiers, just as a building as many stones. Those are the images God uses to show us that we are one even though we are many. So they were sharing... They're positioning Christ. They were no longer what they once were. Remember what Paul said, you're no longer Jew or Gentile. You're no longer slave or free. Uh, You're no longer male or female. You're no longer rich or poor. You're no longer any of these things. In Christ you are one. And that unites us. There ought to be a wonderful bond in every local church. And sad is the local church where there isn't a loving bond with other people. Now the gathering large in a church is good. We're going to see that in a moment. But it's really hard to express love to one another unless you have the opportunity to get close to one another one another and I'm not just talking about sitting close I'm talking about sharing life in fact it's very hard to practice the one another's in the New Testament in a crowd you've got to find some type of smaller group the smaller groups are not always defined but the Bible makes it abundantly clear that's what was happening By the way, this sharing comes from a Greek word you often hear called koinonia. Years ago, we used to name Sunday school classes after Greek names. You had the koinonia class. We used to have the kaleo class and and a few others. They gave up on those Greek names because new people coming couldn't understand it. But the koinonia is one of those names that means to share your life. Fellowship is not just a potluck meal, although that's part of it. It is sharing all of your life, and you do that because you are sharing your position in Christ. By the way, fellowship is trinitarian. Our fellowship is with one another, but listen to 1 John chapter 1. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So there's the Father and the Son. We are to have fellowship with Him as we have fellowship with one another. Second Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, and that benediction includes the Spirit into this unique sphere of fellowship. So truly our fellowship is with God, the triune God, and then that fellowship spills over and is shared with one another. But notice fellowship doesn't stop with just sharing our position in Christ, which is spiritual. It includes sharing our possessions with one another, which is material or mundane, or rather domestic. Notice verse 44. All the believers were together, that's unity, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Now, when someone forces you to share your property or your goods with someone else, that's Marxism. That's communism. That's socialism and that's not what the Bible is teaching. This was voluntary and this was temporary. By the way, in a couple verses it says that they broke bread in their homes. How did they have homes if everyone had to sell and share the same property? You see, it was a very voluntary thing. Ananias and Sapphira are going to get in trouble in chapter 5 not for not selling what they had but for lying about it. The problem was not greed, but deceit. When you had the house, was it not under your control? No one forced you to sell it. You sold it and then lied about how much you sold it for. But the early church loved one another. And that's not surprising because they're a spirit-filled church now in Acts 2. And what's the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So we're not surprised that they are showing love to one another. There is unity, they were together, and there is generosity. And that is the mark of a spirit-filled church. They share their position in Christ and they share their possessions with one another. While I say that there is nothing wrong with capitalism per se and there's nothing wrong with the American way and individual property ownership, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they do lead us often down the pathway to greed and materialism and we can worship those things. And generosity is one of the things that counteracts greed and materialism. Let not things be your God. Make sure you love those around you. There's a third characteristic. They related to the apostles in teaching. They related to each other in sharing. And they related to God in worship. They related to God, it should say, in worship. Boy, this is all messed up. I hope you're taking good notes. I hope you're listening. Notice what they did as they related to God. The Scripture tells us that they, every day, verse 46, continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, why, why was that? Well, that was the gathering. That was a formal gathering for teaching, for praying. So when they came to Christ, they didn't immediately uh, turn their back on the formal worship. But not only did they meet in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and singleness of heart. So they ate, or so they met in worship to relate to God in a formal sense, in the temple, and in an informal sense, from house to house. Now let me say this, every congregation of any size, and that means probably over 50 or 60 people, needs to break up into smaller groups. Every congregation needs to break up into smaller groups if they're of any size because you cannot experience the one another's in a group setting. I'm glad you're here. I think it's important for us to gather collectively. But where is your small group? And it can, it can be a group that meets Every other week it can be uh, the choir could be your small group where you develop more intimate relationships and you care for one another and you pray for one another and you share life with one another. But have a small group. That's what the word connect means. Find yourself connecting in a smaller group where you can grow spiritually. As iron sharpens iron, so a person sharpens the countenance of his friend. That happens most effectively in a smaller group. And notice as they worshipped, and I think this is really important, there was an attitude of awe, verse 43, right? In light of the... Wonderful miracles the apostles were doing in light of the sense that God had come down. There was a spirit of awe. But we're told in verse 46 that they got together with gladness of heart and singleness or sincerity of soul. So worship can be large group, small group. And worship can be where there's a sense of wonder and awe and there's a sense of gladness and sincerity. In fact, gladness needs to mark our spiritual gatherings. Many years ago I came across this article written by Irma Bombeck. Remember her? The humorist? Funny, funny lady. She said, one time I was sitting in church... There was a small child in front of me. The child turned around and began to smile at me. Didn't make any noise. Wasn't causing a problem. Just turned and smiled. The mother noticed. Said to the child, stop stop smiling. You're in church. We don't do that here. <laughs> and Irma in her very... Uh, effective way said, often people come to church with about as much joy as a person who just found out that their deceased rich aunt left everything to her pet hamster. (laughs) John Stott says almost the same thing with different words. He said, when I attend some church services, I think that I have come to a funeral by mistake. Everybody is dressed in black. Now, this is in England, so maybe that's a little more dominant there. Nobody smiles or talks. That's true. The hymns or songs are played at a snail's pace, and the whole atmosphere is depressing, gloomy. But Christianity is a joyful religion. And by the way, the second aspect of the Holy Spirit is what? Just take a stab at it. (laughs) Love, joy peace and the peace is they had favor did you notice this in the text too they had favor verse 47 with all the people there was an amazing spirit of peace misery is contagious criticism is contagious but so is joy and I'll take an epidemic of joy anytime in the midst of the church I I think sometimes we do need to have those services where we repent or those services where we are broken. But I think most services ought to be uplifting and encouraging. You get beat down all week. You hope to come to church and be lifted up. And that's exactly what they were doing. Let me mention one fourth thing. They related this time to the world They related to the world in witness or evangelism. They related to the world in witness. Now if you would only take the first three you would be a very ingrown church. If you just focused on doctrine and teaching Which some churches do, and by the way, this is easy for us to do if we're not careful. Just focus on the teaching part and the doctrine part. Some churches will focus on the sharing part, they're very relational. Some churches will focus on the worship part, they're all about music and songs and big dramatic productions. But all of that is inward. And if that's all we have, we are imbalanced. That's just about our inner life. But what about our outer ministry and impact? Well, the scripture says in verse 47, they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that a great verse? They related to the world in witness. Now, I want you to know that the Lord was doing the work. Oh, I'm sure the apostles were preaching. I'm sure the people were witnessing. That's vital and important. But we cannot save people. Only God can. But of course, Romans 10 says, how shall they hear unless someone tells them? So we need to tell them, right? We need to keep doing our part, but it's got to be the work of the Lord. And by the way, it says that evangelism is adding to the church those who are saved. Those who are saved should join the church and only those who are saved should join the church. Not that people can't come and listen, but when you make it your church, you do that because you're a believer. There is no example in the New Testament of a person coming to faith in Christ and not becoming identified with a local church. I'm not so concerned about the process, although in the New Testament it was very very simple, baptism. (laughs) They would be baptized immediately. In private, in public, they were baptized, and then they got together with the fellowship. That seems to be the biblical pattern. And notice, this was happening daily. Every day, they were out there seeing the Lord work. We call that revival. And I would love to see that happen in Lansing. Every day we're hearing of people coming to faith in Christ. Every day people are coming to Christ in this world. And in some places in amazing numbers like China. Hey, did you notice this section of scripture talks about everyone, verse 43, devoted. And everything, verse 44, shared. And every day, verse 47, living, praising, witnessing, it was their life. And how exciting it would be if the church of Jesus Christ not only held on to this ideal, but lived it out. There was a group of students who were so upset Believing students so upset with the churches in their area. This was actually in Latin America. And they went to every church in their city. It was a capital city. A lot of choices. And they they found out that there was no church that really satisfied them. And so they were called the unconnected Christians. Which, by the way, again, is a biblical monstrosity. There's no example of that in the New Testament. But they honestly had come to that position. Someone interviewing them said, Well, what are you looking for in a church? And they mentioned four things. We're looking for a church... That teaches the word of God. We're looking for a church where there's a fellowship of loving, caring, sharing. We're looking for a church that worships God with sincerity, with awe and joy. And we're looking for a church that reaches out to lost and dying world. Those are the four things that Luke talks about in Acts chapter 2. Those are our marching orders. And if... God's program is the church. And if we connect with the truth of Scripture, connect with one another, if we connect with God in worship and connect with the lost outside of these walls or those who don't know Christ when they come inside, imagine what 2019 could be like. The old evangelist Billy Sunday used to tell or rather story that I think has a powerful point to it. He said many years ago there was an atheist who lived in a small village. He never went to church, didn't care about God, didn't believe in God. But one night the village church, which was a small building made with wood, caught on fire and began to burn. The town members grabbed A bucket of water, each one, formed a bucket brigade and ran as fast as they could to church to douse out the flames. The atheist did too, being a good citizen. Grabbed a bucket of water, ran to the church, and his neighbor, sawing him run, kind of made a joke. He said, this is the first time I've ever seen you go to church. To which the atheist said, this is the first time I've ever seen the church on fire. Oh, I get it. <laughs> if, the church, if the church of Jesus Christ had the burning heart and they were a burning and shining light like a John the Baptist, if the, if the early church could do it, if we would burn with devotion to Christ and his people and his work, people would come just to watch us burn. It would attract attention. People would say, What in the world's happening over there? May God give us the Spirit to connect on all four of these levels. Let's pray. Lord, I don't mean to imply you're not doing anything at South Church, for you are, and we are mightily thankful. We are thankful, Lord, that you are saving people, that people are professing their faith in Christ by being baptized, that people are joining the church. These are not small things. These are great things. That you are growing us and teaching us and filling us and empowering us. All of that, Lord, we praise you for that. But we have to say in the same breath, Lord, renew us. Remake us. Mold us and shape us after your will. Forgive us where we have failed. Where our impact is so weak so as to be unnoticed. Lord, I pray that this year might be a year where we take a huge stride in going forward to be the church. For the glory of Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.